0: For today's Midday Meditation focused on a work of art, we've chosen a painting of the crucifixion of Christ. Or more accurately, not a representation of the act of crucifixion with all its grisly action, sweat and swearing, but an extraordinary cool, calm, meditative picture of the dead Christ on the cross. The painting is by a 15th century Italian painter from the extreme south of that country. Antonello da Messina and it can be seen once normal life is resumed in the National Gallery here in London. Now while this is not an art history lesson we will need to know a little more about him when we come to look carefully at the way he presented the scene. But first let us hear a part of what St John's Gospel has to tell us about the course of events which precede what we are going to see depicted. Some verses From John chapter 19. Then Pilate delivered Jesus unto them to be crucified, and they took him and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers, and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs.' But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came thereout blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. They shall look on him whom they pierced. That is what we will be doing in this short meditation this afternoon. But first a little about our artist. Because his artistic formation has a bearing on how he presents his subject to us and on how we see it. Antonello was born in Messina in Sicily around 1430. And was to become perhaps the most important early Renaissance painter in southern Italy. Evidence suggests that by about 1450, he was the pupil of a painter in Naples, where the paintings of artists from the Low Countries, Flanders and the Netherlands, were then fashionable. Certainly, Antonello's early works show a marked Flemish influence, inspired no doubt by exposure to paintings by Roger van der Weyden and Jan van Eyck in the collection of The King of Naples. He certainly studied the technique of the Flemish masters, as well as their minute observation of detail, but it may be an exaggeration to say, as some have done, that he brought oil painting to Italy. The use of oil-bound colours enabled him to make small-scale works, like the one before us, with miniaturist detail and subtle variations of tone and colour. In addition, one can perhaps attribute to a Netherlandish influence the calm expressions on the faces of his subjects and the overall tranquillity of his compositions. Shortly after our picture was painted in 1475, Antonello visited Venice, where he was most certainly an influence on, as well as being influenced by, his exact contemporary Giovanni Bellini. The kind of landscape background we see in our picture, derived from Antonello's study of the Netherlandish masters, certainly had an influence on those of Bellini and his followers. Perhaps he also passed on to Bellini not only the technique of using oil paints, but also the principles of calmness on subjects' faces and in the composition of paintings that were to become such a feature of the Venetian school. Perhaps the most striking aspect of this little panel its mere 17 inches tall and 10 inches wide, is the emptiness, the delicately coloured void that completely surrounds the figure of Christ pinned to the tall cross. Our viewpoint is from very low down, near to the barren rocky ground, so the top of the cross, which bears the body, is entirely above the misty horizon. In common with contemporary devotional image painters in the Low Countries, Antonello lifts the body of the Lord high on a gibbet, far taller than mere reality and necessity dictates. What he would have us call to mind are Jesus' words of prophecy in St John's Gospel, in which he foretells his manner of death. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Just as Moses lifted high the bronze serpent in the wilderness to save the afflicted children of Israel, so is Jesus lifted high to save us from our sins and draw us into his outstretched arms, into the embrace of his love. The cross and the flanking figures of Our Lady and St John occupy a very narrow strip of foreground – while the beautiful placid landscape, God's glorious creation, recedes almost endlessly in the space behind. In this narrow band, extraneous detail from the biblical narrative is excluded so as to concentrate our minds on Christ's sacrifice and suffering and focus our meditation. The low viewpoint also makes it seem as if we were looking up at a crucifix placed upon an altar. Perhaps it is my fancy, but the curving figures of Mary and John on either side seem to form the shape of hands cupped to receive a gift, or the bowl of a chalice made ready to receive Christ's precious blood. Thus are we reminded of the Lord's death celebrated daily as we make real in the present his saving sacrifice once offered full, perfect, sufficient for all time. This theological statement in paint is very appropriate to where we are in our observance of Holy Week. Today we learn the lesson of the cross. We see the consequence of our sin loaded onto the frail shoulders of God's Son. We see a very dead body, pale, drained of blood, pierced in hands, feet and side. We see the skull of Adam, whose original sin is wiped clean by the lifeblood trickling down of the wood of the cross to bathe his bones where sorrow and love flow mingled down. On this day in Holy Week, we have yet to perceive the wonder of Christ reigning from the cross. Nor can we yet enter into the joy, the triumph and glory of Easter. Pinned before us is not a thing of beauty to delight the eyes. Christ's outstretched arms are emaciated, his head lolls low, and his body and legs taper down to his nailed feet without ingratiating or interesting curves. Today, we must confront the reality of death. And this is just what Mary and John are doing. Unlike the traditional standing figures we might expect on either side of the cross, here we have two individuals for whom it has all been too much and too long. So they sit, Mary on the bare ground, John perched on a rock, their tired backs almost slumped against the edge of the painting. Even though Jesus has given each into the care of the other before he died, they are as far away from each other as the picture space permits. Mary rocks backwards and forwards in silent sorrow, her body and mind filled with nothing but a grief which sees no end. John gazes questioningly at his dead master, his hand extended in an eternal why, as he looks for some meaning in this death. Just behind the cross, in the distance where the rocky hill gives way to the trees and green fields, we can see the figures of the three Marys, Christ's female followers on their way home, leaving the Virgin Mary and John to their grief. St. Matthew and St. Mark both tell us who they are. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Beyond these women, we can see for miles, a fortified harbour, ranges of hills, a distant sea, and yet more faint hills beyond. There are tiny, tiny people, even smaller than the departing Marys, some in boats, some gather around the gateway into the port. They are not us. They have no interest in what we are seeing, and in any case would have no understanding of its significance. The poet W.H. Auden summed it up in Musée des Beaux-Arts. About suffering they were never wrong, the old masters. How well they understood its human position. How it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. Let us pray. O God, whose beloved Son once moved among men, and they would not know him. Number us not, we entreat thee amongst them, to whom still he cometh, and they receive him not. Who now liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, who has called us to follow thee, whose call we have answered and striven to obey, Grant that our love grow not cold in thy service, lest we cease to follow, nor that we follow afar off, lest in the hour of trial we deny thee for thy mercy's sake. Amen. Lord Jesus, who wast silent when men nailed thee to the cross, and by pain didst triumph over pain, pour thy spirit, we beseech thee, on us, thy servants, who suffer at this time of plague, that in quietness and courage and obedience we may see thee triumph again and bring us to thy health and salvation, who livest and reignest in the glory of the eternal Trinity, world without end. Amen.